let's jump in today because here's what I know uh, has happened to me during the pan during this pandemic and I'm wondering if it's happened to you too and it's this it's that I see my problems a whole lot more clearly than I did before before March 9th ish Right now, I don't know if it's the uncertainty of the world around me. I don't know if it's the fact that my schedule has changed and I, my feelings, I can just hear them more. But, but I've noticed that, that I can hear and feel and sense those problems in my life so much more clearly. Like, like Monday, I woke up and I was like tired to the core, tired. That's a problem, right? Tuesday, I got really kind of overwhelmed in the day because, because as a staff, we're trying to determine when the best time is to reopen the building for worship and what that looks like. Not to mention we're in the middle of budget season. How do you plan a budget when you have no idea what the next fiscal year is going to even look like? And so all of that was churning in my mind and, and just making me feel overwhelmed. That's a problem. Wednesday, I woke up and I felt completely unmotivated to do anything. I wasn't depressed. It was just a different feeling. There was just no motivation there. I was talking to one of my neighbors. She felt the exact same way, and she put it in this great way. She said, to walk the 10 feet from my kitchen table to my new home office seemed like miles away. I get it. Like, these are all problems. And I could go on with the rest of my week, but I think, I think you get the point. And I also don't think I'm alone either. I think, I, think, I think this is true for each of us. I think every day we all face all kinds of problems. Every day we face all kinds of problems. Now, yours may be different. Yours might be about work. It might be about money. It might be about kids. It might be about homeschooling or technology. It might be about depression. It might be about loneliness or busyness. Some of you are really busy during this season. And some of, some of, some of you aren't busy at all. And maybe that's a problem. You see, each day we all face different kinds of problems. The question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with those problems? There's a, a guy named A.W. Tozier who was this prolific author and, and, and pastor in the 1930s to the 1960s. And he wrote a book that I often return to again and again and again, and it's called The Pursuit of God. And one of the things that he said kind of addresses this problem of what do we do with the problems in our life. And he said this, he said, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. As God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. You see, here's the solution to the thousand problems that we face. When we move God into the right place, those problems find their solution. And so let me ask you, who needs some problems in your life to find a solution today? Well, hit the like button and let me know that you're here. Because like I said, I don't think I'm alone in this. Because here's what we're going to see today. Today, we're going to see who God is, Right? And when we see who God is, that's going to allow us to move those problems over to the side and put that God in the proper place in our lives, in the right place in our lives. So if you're ready, open your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation 4. We're going to do chapters 4 and 5 today. We're going to pick up some speed here in the book of Revelation. And we're continuing our series called Breakthrough as we, as we go through the book of Revelation 
And what we're doing, we are praying for you to experience breakthrough as we go through this book. And y'all, I want to tell you, I've heard stories of the breakthroughs that you're experiencing, and I love hearing them. I've heard stories about relational breakthroughs that you've had with family and, and other relationships. I've heard, I've heard stories of financial breakthroughs, even during this time of a, of a pandemic. Some of you have had emotional breakthroughs. Some of you have had spiritual breakthroughs. And church, I want you to hear me. We are praying for more for you. Now, if you'd like us to add a mirror piece for you, because that's what those mirror pieces behind me are. Each, each mirror piece has the name of someone on the back side of it that we have specifically prayed for you to experience breakthrough. If you would like us to add your name to that wall with a mirror piece, then here's what I want you to do. I just want you to leave a comment on Facebook right now just saying, add a piece for me, right? And, and your name will be attached to that comment and we will do that. If you're watching this after the live premiere, it might be easier for you, or if you're watching it on Vimeo or one of the other platforms, it might be easier for you to send an email to us and let us know. And so for you, send an email to amy at fellowshipashville.com and we will add that mirror piece to you. Now, I also said, if you wanna get on the update and you're not, that's the way to do it. Email Amy and she will get you on that update so you can join us for that elder-led prayer night, uh, get the, the, the Zoom link and all that stuff, all right? We would love to add a mirror piece for you and we would love to pray for you specifically to experience breakthrough. Now, before we jump into our text today, you're gonna to notice a shift. All right, the book of Revelation is divided into two parts. Now, the first part of, of Revelation is called the things that are, right? In the first three chapters of the book of Revelation uh, had seven letters to seven churches. And those chapters categorize the things that are, because in John's time, when he was inspired to write this book, those were seven actual letters that went to seven actual churches in his time. And so they were the things that are. Starting in chapter four, where we are today, things are going to shift, not from the things that are, but it's the things that will come, the things that will be. And so in John's time, when he wrote this, they were future events. Now, here's the typical response to these chapters. There's going to be a lot of stuff in here, y'all, where we're going to have a lot of questions. It's going to talk about the Antichrist and the beast, and it's going to talk about all this stuff and seven seals and seven trumpets and, and, and all these symbols. And the question that we ask is, gosh, what do those mean? What do those represent? And y'all, those are great questions. And if we had three years to unpack every word of this book, we, we, we just might do that. But here's my dilemma. I don't think the book of Revelation was written so that we could unpack and decipher who all these people are and what all these symbols are. Because if you remember when we started the book of Revelation, I kind of laid out the purpose for us as we go through it. And so we need to keep this in mind that Revelation isn't so we can predict the future, right? It's not so we can know who the Antichrist is and all of this stuff. Revelation shows us how to respond when the future happens. And so as we go through this book, we're going to see some, some crazy stuff laid out. What I want us to watch is how do we respond when those crazy things happen? Because I think that's why the book of Revelation was written. And so y'all, today, our response is going to be as clear as it can be. And our response today will help us solve a thousand problems all at once. Well, let's, let's dive in. Revelation chapter 4, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So there's the after this. This is the stuff that will come. And at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now here's what's happening to John. John's the guy who, who wrote this book that got inspired to write this book. And, and he looks at one person sitting on a throne, and, and he's in this heavenly throne room. Now, here's the deal with visions. Here's what you have to keep in mind. Visions in the Bible, prophetic visions, make the most sense to the person who experienced the vision, right? And, and, and so we have to keep that in mind. And I say the most sense, sometimes they saw stuff and they still didn't understand what it was. But out of anybody, that vision would make the most sense to them. And so to properly understand what John sees as this book continues on, we can't look at it through pandemic 2020 eyes, right? We have to look at this book through Hebrew, Greco-Roman, Jesus following, first century AD eyes. Now here's what John sees when, when we look at this book through his eyes. He sees this place of power because that's what a throne room was. A throne room was a place where the powerful people were. And so he sees power. He sees a throne and he sees one sitting on that throne. And the one sitting on that throne we're going to see is God. And what he's going to do is he's going to describe the God that he sees sitting on that throne. Look at verse 3. It says, And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper, in carnal, carnal, uh, gosh, I practice this, carnaline, uh, whatever. He saw that word. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now here's what it does. He, he looks at God and he sees this brilliant display of colors. And he sees this, gray, this green kind of rainbow shape. And this array of color and the fact that it reminds him of a rainbow is a reference to Genesis, where we see God use a rainbow as a symbol that he, was, he promised that he would no longer destroy the earth with a flood again. And so when, when we see this rainbow, when we see the one sitting there, he's glorious like the colors of the rainbow, but he's also merciful like the promise of the rainbow. That's what, that's what John sees. But, but now his, his vision is going to expand a little bit because he's not just looking at the one sitting on the throne. Look at, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this. It says, And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. Now, these little thrones that he sees, so he sees this big throne with God sitting on it, and then these little thrones around that. And these, these little thrones, he says, are elders. In other words, they're the humans that are in this. Elders in John's time, they were leaders in the church and leaders of the community. Now, people have speculated often about who these elders are. There's 24 of them, so are half of them representing the tribes of Israel and half of them representing the church. We really don't know who they are. But what we do know is what John saw when he saw them, and he saw elders. Now, here's the deal. Elders were leaders, and in his world, what elders did, you did. Right? Because they were leaders in the community. They were leaders in the church. And now this is true in our day today too, because Paul told people, he was another writer in the New Testament, and he started churches all over the ancient world. And, and he told people, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And it kind of captures this idea of, of what you see elders in the church doing, you do. And elders 
are to have a faith that's worthy of imitating. As a matter of fact, I don't think this is just a goal. I think this is actually a spiritual principle that God has embedded and woven into the, the reality of what we call church. I think God has set up any church to only function as well as the elders function. I think, I think this is the spiritual principle that as elders go, so goes the church. Now, in case you're new to church, when I say elders, I don't mean the old folks in the church, right? What I mean is I mean a group of leaders that God has raised up to make sure that the church is moving in line with the correct doctrine, that we accurately handle issues of church discipline, which we call church restoration here. These, these leaders have, that have been raised up hold us accountable to moving forward in the direction that God has laid out for us, and they give us wisdom for any decisions that need discernment. That's, that's what elders do. And I've got to tell you, we have got a group of faithful men eldering this church. We've got Josh Montgomery, Brian Flagler, Cam King, I mean, Matt King, Cam, and myself, uh, because I'm the lead pastor. And so, so here's the deal. As these guys go, so goes the church. No pressure, right? But I think that's the way God has established the church. Well, let's keep an eye on how these elders respond in Revelation, because when we see how they respond in this heavenly throne room, we'll know how we need to respond. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we've seen these seven spirits of God before in a previous letter. I believe that's the Holy Spirit. So, so, so just keep that in mind because they'll come up again. But now what John does is he turns his attention from the 24 thrones back to the one throne. And he sees the one sitting on the throne and he sees the power that's there with lightning and thunder. And these were, that's what these were. These were symbols of power. So not only is God glorious, not only is he merciful, but he is powerful. And look at verse 6. It says, And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now, I love this because, because in ancient times, there was often water around a deity. And, and, and here's what it symbolized in ancient times. In ancient times, if you had a deity, a, a statue or whatever represented that deity and you had water around it, it meant that that deity was separated from humanity because it was so holy and so pure. Oftentimes, to worship this deity, you had to bathe in the water to purify yourself and come out on the other side clean so that you could worship this deity. You see, our God is holy and pure. We're going to see that. And there's, but what's surrounding him isn't water. It looks like water. Notice the words that John uses. He uses the words like crystal and glass. Because you see, God's holiness and purity doesn't separate him from his creation. It actually connects him to his creation. Because you can walk on crystal, you can stand on, on this, this glass that he sees. You see, there's a bridge between God's creation and God, between humanity and God. And it's not up to you to purify yourself. That bridge has already been laid. Access to God has already been paved for you. Look what else is in this throne room. And the rest of verse 6, um, let's see, where am I? And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. 
The, living, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third living creature was like a face of man. And the fourth living creature was like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings, all full of eyes around and within. And so now John sees these creatures. So you've got the throne, you've got these creatures, and then you've got the 24 thrones, and then you've got this this crystal uh, water-looking thing around them. And these four living creatures, again, we could spend hours talking about who they are and what they are. Some people think they represent each of the four Gospels, but we don't know. But remember, we're watching to see how these, these creatures and how the elders in particular respond when the future happens. So it's not super important to know who these creatures are. It's important to note what they're doing and what they say. And so look at how, look what they say to God seated on the throne. It says, In day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so these creatures look at God sitting on the throne and they say, Not only is he glorious and merciful and powerful and pure, but they use this new word to describe this God and they call him holy. Now, in the Greek language, here's what's great about the word holy. In the Greek language, holy takes two words and puts them together. It takes the word pure and cherish and puts them together. And so this adds this other layer to, to God's holiness and to his purity, that his purity doesn't separate us from him. His purity is actually the way that we love him and connect with him. You see, these creatures didn't look at God, and y'all, I think this is so important. They didn't look at God in his purity and his power and his gloriness and his powerfulness. They didn't look at him and say, oh, oh, I am unworthy. I can't be in his presence. They looked at him and said, holy, 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 that his purity and his power and his gloriousness and his mercifulness actually allows me to connect with him and love him all the more. You see, when church, and I hope that we can get this like these four creatures did, that when we see God, we don't look at ourselves, right? When you approach the presence of God, it is so easy to see your unworthiness, right? Because it is in front of you every day when you look in the mirror. You see it and you know it, and you know the sin that's in your heart. And there is a place for confession, and I am all for that. Please don't hear me say that that's not important and not an important spiritual discipline. It is. But when you see God, you have this unique opportunity to worship God for who he is, to take the attention off of yourself and to put it on him. Now, some of you may be thinking about Isaiah when when he saw the throne of God and he said, oh, unclean lips I have and unworthy am I. And that is his first response. But when he's touched by God, he never says it again. You see, when you see God for who he is, we worship God. When we see God, we worship God because he's now the source of who we are, not us. And these four creatures declare him as holy. When they saw all of his glory and mercy and power and purity, they declared one word, holy. Well, now let's look at how the elders respond. In verse 9, It says, and whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him. So not only are they saying, God, you're holy. They're also giving thanks for the stuff that he's doing. Thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. And the 24 elders fell down before him, before him who is seated on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. 
And they cast their crowns before him, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see, so here's how the elders respond. Now, y'all, this is how we're to respond, right? Because we're the humans in this throne room, right? It says, They also worshiped God when they saw him sitting on his throne and they worshiped him in a particular way, right? It says that they cast their crowns to him. Now, in ancient time, remember, we have to look at this through John's eyes. In ancient time, in Greco-Roman culture, uh, when somebody competed in the games or when, when warriors came back from battle, they were given a crown by their ruler. And they would in turn, and they'd be paraded through the city as heroes. And then as part of that ceremony, they would take that crown and lay it at their leader's feet, right? And they did it for a couple of reasons. One, they did it as a display of thanksgiving, right? Because, because of everything that they were given to be able to fight the battle that they fought or to, to be trained the way that they were trained. It's a, it's a position of thanksgiving to their leader, but it's also a symbol of trust. When they lay that crown down, it is a symbol of their allegiance and their fidelity to that leader. It is a picture of trust. And so here's what these elders are doing when they're taking that crown off and they're throwing it at the feet of that thro- of God on that throne. They're, they're not only showing thanks, just like the four creatures around the throne did, but they're also showing complete trust to the God who's sitting on that throne. That is their act of worship. It's, a, it's an act of thanksgiving and it's an act of trust. Now, here's why we need to know who this God is. Let's jump into chapter five. Chapter five says this, verse one, it says, Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within it on the back and sealed with seven seals. Now, typically on an ancient scroll, they only wrote on one side. But if there was a lot of information to convey, they wrote on the front and the back. And when John sees this scroll, he sees that there's words on the front and the back, which means there's a lot of information in here. And he sees these seven seals on it. And so this scroll had lots of words on it. And what we know is that as this scroll is undone, all kinds of problems are unleashed on the earth. Here's why John wanted to, I think here's why God showed John who he was before the scroll. Because I think it's important that we see it's God who wrote these words so that we know how to respond to him when these words come to pass. Right? Because if this God is powerful and glorious and merciful and good and holy and pure, and we are to worship him, I'm going to give you a clue here. As this unfolds, that means we are still to worship him when his words come to pass. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So now there's this God-sized problem, right? You're in this throne room and, 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 and God who's sitting on his throne puts out his hand and there's this scroll in his hand and nobody is worthy to open it. And it is this God-sized problem. This scroll needs to be open, but there's none in that throne room that can do it. Here's the deal with a God-sized problem. Because y'all, some of the problems that come to your mind when I talk about problems, they are God-sized problems. Well, here's the deal with a God-sized problem. A God-sized problem gets a God-sized solution. 
right? A God-sized problem needs a God-sized solution. Now, no matter what the problem is that you're facing, a God-sized problem always gets a God-sized solution. Now, remember, when we exalt God to his proper place, a thousand problems are solved all at once. A.W. Tozer said it, and I believe it to be true. No matter what your problems are that fit into that thousand problems that get solved all at once, whether they're big or whether they're small, when you exalt God into his proper place, those problems find their solution all at once. Even your big God-sized problems, even your small God-sized problems. Now look at how this God-sized problem gets fixed. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns. Horns represent power, right? And with seven eyes, so he's all seen. He, he knows what's going on. And there are seven spirits which are sent out all, all over the earth. That's the Holy Spirit. And when he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests for our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So y'all, who showed up in this throne room to handle this God-sized problem? Who is the one that showed up? Everybody responds with Jesus. That's right. Jesus showed up. You see, he is the one worthy to be the solution to this God-sized problem. He is the one that's worthy to solve your God-sized problem. Guess what? Jesus can handle it, whether it's big or whether it's small. Jesus can handle it. You see, because he's the one that's already solved the biggest God-sized problem that there has been that caused this division between God and humanity. He is, the re he is the bridge between God and us. Jesus is the reason that there isn't water around God's throne, but that there is this crystal that looks like glass because the bridge has already been paved. He is the one that because of, 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 of his sacrifice, we have victory. He is the one that is the lamb that looks as though he was slain. So do you want to solve a thousand problems all at once? Then do this. Exalting Jesus to his proper place solves a thousand problems all at once. You see, letting Jesus be the answer to your problems solves a thousand of them all at once. The question is, how do you do this? Right? How do you exalt Jesus to the proper place in your life? Well, let's watch. Let's watch how heaven responds in this throne room because how they respond is how we respond. Now look at verse 11. It says, Then I looked up and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands. So now it's not just God on the throne and the four creatures and the elders in this room. Now then there are angels that can't even be counted. And what are they doing? Look at verse 12. 
saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So what is heaven doing? What are these angels doing? They are worshiping God. Now look at this in verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And so now John sees like the universe and the earth just kind of peel back. And not only is it every creature that flies in the air and every creature that is on the ground and every creature that is under the ground and every creature that is under the sea, he even says in everything in them. And so their hearts and lungs and livers and, and, and all the ooey gooey stuff in them, all of it is singing this song of worship, every creature, every creature everywhere in creation worships. And in verse 14, and the four living creatures said, Amen, which means I agree. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Y'all, when we see these elders, we do what they do, and they worshiped. They laid their crowns down and they worshiped. And so y'all, how do we exalt God to the proper place in our lives? How do we exalt Jesus into the proper place in our lives? We worship him. We do what these elders did. We throw our crowns at the feet of Jesus who is worthy of our worship. Now, what does this look like? Because I don't know how many crowns you got. I ain't got one, right? Now, some of you have crowns and that's great. That's cool. But most of us don't have crowns, right? And so what does it look like to throw a crown at the feet of Jesus? What does that look like? Maybe for you, it's putting Jesus at the center of your life. Maybe that's what throwing your crown looks like today and declaring him as the one that you follow, that you're no longer gonna follow your problems and let them lead you through life. You're gonna let Jesus lead you and your problems through life. And you're going to follow God's solution to your problems. And for you, maybe it means saying yes to Jesus today as your Lord and as your Savior. Now, many of you listening have already done that. You've already said yes to Jesus. What does it look like for you to throw your crown at the feet of Jesus? Well, here's what worship, here's what exalting Jesus at this proper place in your life so that a thousand problems can be solved all at once could look like. You don't have a crown, but what you do have is you have two things to offer. You have opportunities to be thankful and you have occasions to trust. You have thanksgiving and you have trust. Opportunities to be thankful and occasions to trust. That is your crown. Now, what if, what if every night as you were going to sleep, you laid those, that crown down at the feet of Jesus in a very simple prayer? And what if you said, Jesus, today I'm thankful you did fill in the blank. And for tomorrow, I trust you with, and then fill in the blank. I'm thankful you did, and I trust you with. That is throwing your crown at the feet of Jesus, just like the elders do. Now, y'all, I'm going to take just a couple more minutes, and I'm going to tell you trust is hard. Right? When you say, Jesus, I trust you with whatever that is that you need to trust him with, you might hope and expect that some weight's going to be lifted off. Like there's going to be relief. There's going to... There may not be. Like I had an issue this week and I kept saying, Jesus, I trust you with. Jesus, I trust you with. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. Jesus, I trust you with this. Jesus, I trust you with this. And I felt nothing. I felt as if heaven was silent. But I kept throwing that crown at Jesus's feet and saying, Jesus, I trust you with. 
Let me tell you what happened. What you trust Jesus with tonight, you will be thankful for tomorrow because that's what happened. I ended up being thankful for what I trusted Jesus with the night before. That can happen for you. You know what that's called? That's called a thousand problems finding their solution in Jesus. And so for you tonight, what are you thankful for and what do you trust Jesus with the next day? Now, if you're married, how about spouses? Y'all do this together. You grab each other's hand at night and each of you say what you're thankful for for the day before and for the day you just experienced and what you're trusting Jesus for the next day. If you're single, if you have a roommate, you and your roommate pray this. If you don't have a roommate, call a friend and say, hey, my pastor said to do this weird thing. I, I trust you as a friend. Let's do this. And y'all pray and, and y'all say what you're thankful for and what you trust the, what you trust Jesus for for the next day. Kids, pray this with your parents. Teenagers, I challenge you to pray this to bow your knees before God and express what you're thankful for that he did that day and what you trust him for the next day. Y'all, let's exalt Jesus to his proper place and let's watch a thousand problems be solved all at once. We've got a worship song for you right after I pray and then we'll, uh, if technology allows us, we will do FaceTime Live right after this message and then Fellowship Kids Zoom uh, parties at 11 and FSM is tonight. The links to both of those Zoom events are in their updates, their emails. Well, let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray that we will exalt you to the proper place in your life. And, and, and God, that for those of those of those people listening who have never said yes to you, I pray that they will do that right now. That they will say, Jesus, you are the center of my life and I will follow you. And I pray uh, that in them doing that, they would feel your presence and know the reality of you in a way that they never have before and that you would grow them over time in their faith and trust. And for those of us who have said yes to you, Jesus, I pray that we would get really good at laying our crowns at your feet in thanksgiving and in trust. And that we would see you move and that you would help us break through those walls that we keep bumping our heads against. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Y'all, I love you. I love being in the church with you. I'll see you soon.